everybody out there. It's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show with the girls all in on all the details of that galaxy far, far away. Today we're talking about techs and places, technology and places, I guess. Yeah, I think you could call it that. Yeah. My name's Mac and I'm joined by my fellow battle station architect, Ross. You know, I think a place in Star Wars is anything that is a set piece. If it's a okay. set piece, you can call it a place. Okay. So, like, Naboo is a place. Right. But also, Udagunga is a place, even though technically they're mm. one and the same, right? Yeah. If it can be a map and battlefront, it's a place. <laughs> think of it that way. All right. So today we are, as Max said, talking about the ultimate weapon, the Death Star. We are talking about one of uh, the most iconic things in all of Star Wars, the mm-hmm. super weapon that destroys Alderaan, that uh, lays waste to Scarif and Jetta, and also is responsible for 95% of recycling of metal in the midrim. Yeah, you know what? There's probably, yeah, the Scrapper Guild is, is probably on Alderaan's top of that. in the inner rim, not the midrim. Uh, I think they're interim because they're, they're, they're not a core world, but they're yeah. like next gen. So they're either, they're either mid rim or expansion region or they're not col- the colonies. I mean, yeah, I think mm. they might be the colonies. I don't know. Anyway, we're not experts on, we're uh, not talking about all of right the now. galaxy. No, we are not. We are talking <laughs> about the weapon that destroys it, baby. And we are going to have fun with the death star today. Uh, Mac, are you ready to jump into it? I know you're a fan. Oh, I know. I'm so excited to talk about this. Let's go. Until this battle station is fully operational, we are vulnerable. The Rebel Alliance is too well equipped. They're more dangerous than you realize. Dangerous to your Starfleet, Commander, not to this battle station. The Rebellion will continue to gain a support in the Imperial Senate. The Imperial Senate will no longer be of any concern to us. I have just received word that the Emperor has dissolved the Council permanently. The last remnants of the Old Republic have been swept away. Possible. How will the Emperor maintain control without the bureaucracy? The regional governors now have direct control over their territories. Fear will keep the local systems in line. Fear of this battle station. And what of the rebellion? If the rebels have obtained a complete technical readout of this station, it is possible, however unlikely, that they might find a weakness and exploit it. Any attack made by the rebels against this station would be a useless gesture no matter what technical data they've obtained. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Some might call it the ultimate weapon. A a device so powerful, so awe-inspiring, so deadly in its design and ambition, they built at least three of them. (laughs) We are talking about Deep Space One, DS-1, better known by its moniker, the Death Star. The Death Star is something that holds a special place in fandom Mm -hmm. due to its 
tie-ins with the origins of the series, obviously. Uh, it is one of the most iconic things to come out of Star Wars up there with oh, yeah. Darth Vader and the lightsaber and a few of the other ships, things like that. The Death Star is, I mean, they even chose to put the Death Star on the packaging for the, you know, ultimate Skywalker saga box set, whatever they called it. You know, oh, yeah. even like it's it's that big and important to the saga. And it's a topic that we haven't talked about before. So we are here today to really talk about it. Now, we are talking exclusively about the first Death Star, the Death yes. Star that makes its first appearance in, uh, you know, the original Star Wars episode four in New Hope and uh, now has uh, much more backstory given to it over the years, both in the Legends arena, mm -hmm. um, all throughout different novelizations, as well as the literal novel called Death Star, which was a really good read if you want uh, something fun outside of canon. Mm -hmm. And uh, now between properties like Catalyst, Rogue One, and uh, a few other things, even Episode 3 to a certain extent, we have a lot more information about the history of the original Death Star. And that is what we're here to talk about today, is yeah. kind of what the Death Star, where it comes from, what it means to us, where it pops up along the Star Wars timeline, and uh, just our thoughts on it. So we're going to dive right in. Now, Mac, where do you think we should start? Because this was your idea of a topic, well, your baby. So what are you thinking? I think we, uh, I think we start, um, start at the beginning. So the Geonosians, yes. who are these bug creatures, are also known to be very good engineers. That's why they designed and created the majority of the armed forces for the Separatist movement. You know... The B-1 battle droids, the B-2 super battle droids, and a lot of the other infrastructures all designed by them. But Pac uh, Sun, who is one of their leaders, um, he and Poggle the Lesser basically had one super weapon that they would win the war with if it really came down to it. But it's so terrible. It's so grand in scope. You just can't just go build that thing. You gotta, you gotta work up to that. You know, that's like, like, uh, we're, you know, final days of the war, we need to pull, pull something out of the fire. And it was the concept and design for a super laser that would also be part of an installation to move said super laser around. So the first time we see what will become the Death Star yes. is when it's being referred to by the Geonosians as the ultimate weapon. Yes. And it is a holographic set of schematics that yes. are handed off from Poggle the Lesser to Count Dooku as Geonosis is getting invaded by the Republic Army. Yes, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, right at the end of Attack of the Clones where we see it for the first time in a chronological way. And I remember seeing this in the theater and everybody was so excited. I mean, yeah. this was such a cool moment to see this in the hands of the bad guys, right? The bad guys who are not the bad guys who will have it later, right? To see right. this in the hands of Count Dooku. Uh, now, obviously, this is our first time we're seeing it. Um, but there is some stuff in the Clone Wars where yeah. Poggle the Lesser even talks about how Dooku gave them the original plans and they just refined and enhanced them. Presumably, Dooku getting those plans from Sidious. I think the idea is, I think that basically the Sith Lords have this weapon. Who yeah. knows? It could be ancient Sith. But it's the 
Geonosians who engineered it into an actual constructible device. Yes, that's exactly what it seems like to me as well. You know, I mean, some of this is a little murky because there's very little on-screen talk other than foreshadowing of the Death Star because mm -hmm. the next time we really see it, I mean, they do talk about it throughout the Clone Wars. So throughout the Clone Wars, basically, the Republic becomes aware of a super weapon and the schematics for it. And right. Palpatine creates a council um, so let's see here. Essentially, the idea is this strategic advisory cell. And we first hear about this, if I remember correctly, in the novel Catalyst. Basically, the idea here is that during the Clone Wars, people from all different sectors, so people who work on ship engines and people who specialize in weapons technology, like uh, you know, people who specialize in energy, like Galen Erso, right? All right. of these experts were brought together uh, to uh, on this thing called the strategic advisory cell to essentially work on the Death Star without their knowledge. Basically, they were each working on different divisions yeah. of it with nobody but Palpatine truly knowing the full scope of the entire plan, right? Yeah, and the whole whole thing about it is it's, it's mirroring the Manhattan Project in human history by the sense that there are many, many parts that are being worked on by all these different teams and organizations, but they cannot... They do not have enough information to piece together how their part goes into a bigger whole. So people are working on the propulsion systems, the hyperdrive to move something that massive around. Um, Galen Erso ends up on the power production. How do you power a super laser? In fact, he's on Coruscant in a thing that can power like an entire city block of Coruscant that is all just an experiment to get to the energy production that they need playing around with kyber crystals and yes. things like that. Yes, exactly. And every member of this advisory board was uh, made to take an oath, basically made to sign away and say uh, the space version of an NDA. You know, everything <laughs> they are doing is secret and they cannot discuss it with anyone, even other people working on the project, because by segmenting the work, they were able to keep the true nature of the Death Star secret. And mm -hmm. only people like Palpatine and eventually people like Tarkin and Vader and Krennic knew of its full scope, right. the full possibility. And, I mean, obviously the Death Star is huge and it houses a whole lot of people and things. We'll talk about that as we get closer to the finish <laughs> of its construction. But just the idea of something in Star Wars I think is worth talking about because outside of the larger expanded universe, right, you know, th other super weapons that have made their way into Star Wars over the years, this really is Star Wars' only major on-screen weapon, you know, besides now, obviously, Starkiller Base. Oh. This is a weapon that is unique in that there is no comparable weapon that the good guys have. There is no, you know, back and forth. Everybody has blasters. Everybody has starships. But this is something that gives an advantage yeah. to one side, whichever side is obviously wielding it at the moment. We obviously eventually only see the Empire truly gain control of it. The Separatists don't actually get to use it. But the idea that there is such a one-sided powerful weapon in the Star Wars universe yeah. obviously makes for very interesting sort of underdog type storytelling, which is how we see it used. But to see its origins here early on and to see obviously, you know, the next time we see it in film is at the end of episode three. We see the structure of it. The mm -hmm. bones of it is being completed, uh, presumably still above Geonosis, right? Yeah, well, we, we actually, we know that because, I mean, the two canon novels that draw up the what we would call the current 
conceptualization of how everything's working is Catalyst, yes. which focuses mo more on the super laser itself, right? And how um, Galen or Urso is basically manipulated many, many times by his genuinely good friend, uh, you know, Krennic, uh, into essentially making Krennic's ambition like it's like I want to run this project. I want to be in charge of it. It's the most powerful weapon. It's the most senior thing you could probably be doing in the military right now. And I already have just enough technical know-how to get the right people to work on it. And I have just enough ambition to like get in charge of the project. Yeah. And I need people like Galen, my friend, to be the brilliant people that cracks all these technological challenges <laughs> we need to do to make this thing into what it's supposed to be. Um and so Catalyst focuses on those two men, how they kind of bounce off each other, how their careers are built on top of each other, and how in the end, you know, Galen Erso's story is mostly a tragedy. And Krennic, all, all his drive to get all this stuff is essentially usurped at the very end by Tarkin anyway. And that's the other side of it is we have... Um, the book Tarkin, which refers to some of Tarkin's idea and how this project fits into the Tarkin doctrine and how aware of he is of monitoring the progress of the building of the station since we see him at the end of episode three doing that, how it's one of many projects he sort of oversees. Yes, yes. Tarkin is the uh, district manager, if you will. You know, he isn't actually in control of any one thing, but he is still in control of pulling a lot of strings, and it's still his word goes in a lot of situations. You know, if Vader is the enforcer of the Emperor's might, Tarkin is the enforcer of his word. You know, he is the one basically making decisions that even though he's not receiving instruction from the Emperor, it's not mm -hmm. like it's a you know, one and two situation. Tarkin is operating independently, but he is basically the one entrusted with what the Emperor wants to have happen. So when we hear Tarkin say, I'm taking over this project, you know, I'm actually going to be in charge of it now, even though I wasn't really the one working on it for all of this time. Right. Right. We believe that that is what the higher ups even above Tarkin want. Like, I don't think that's necessarily Tarkin acting out. I mean, it is. That's his character. His character is ambitious. Yeah. And eager and powerful and, you know, he's going to try and take over. That is what he wants. But I don't think the Emperor, like if the Emperor was in that room, I don't think he would stop it, I guess I is think, what I'm saying. I think the way it is, the way we see it in Rogue One is Krennic has spilled blood, sweat and tears to make yes. this thing happen. Yes. And then basically the moth comes in is like, oh, yes, you have completed. It is very impressive. We would need to go target it. In fact, I'll take direct command for that. In fact, I'm going to build my office here. And I think Krennic's like, no, 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 no. This is my project. And I think that Krennic's the only one who didn't realize that, no, your job was to finish it. The real people are going to use it. Yes. Now go sit over there and do whatever your maintenance schedules or whatever we keep you around here yeah. for. It's like he's the foreman of the project, but yes. he's not actually going to work in the building when it's done. That's how I kind and of interpret it. That's a good it. way of putting it. Yeah. Um, you know, even his title director is very interesting because I don't think we've ever heard that title no. in Star Wars before 2016 or whenever the toys launched. Well, and it's also kind of confusing of where he fits in the military because director is almost more sounding like a civilian. Like, you're in charge of this project and your military yeah. rank is... Maybe the same as that? Maybe different? I mean, I 
feel there's no one in the Imperial Navy or military who isn't part of the military or Yeah, he's or definitely an enlisted but like, man. I think just the name director implies that, like, yeah, your role as this project manager is far more important than whatever rank you've earned. Because yeah. Tarkin doesn't care, and he's not going to direct you as, you know captain or admiral or command no no you're just you're just the director so what's interesting about that is some ranks Mm -hmm. when it comes to star wars right you know this better than i do so please correct me if i'm wrong some ranks are quite literal han solo is ranked a captain when he first enters the rebellion and becomes official because he literally captains his own ship yes right so like that's a rank you achieve because of a specific role you're doing right like two two degrees. So there okay, so when we're talking about military, and this is true in our real world militaries, yeah. but in Star Wars specifically, there there's one huge confusing thing about all of this stuff, which is there is navy and army. In all versions of Star Wars they've had navy and army sure. for both the um for actually all the branches, like whether it's the Grand Army Republic and the Republic Navy, or whether it's like sure, Imperial sure. stuff. So and we're talking Solo, about the difference between fighting on planet surface versus fighting in space. Correct. Right. Infantry versus, yeah. Right. Um, so Han, I think the biggest thing is he is all, there is a captain, and he'll always be a captain because he has a captain's license. And a captain's license is in Star Wars world, all, all spaceships are ships. So if you are in charge of a ship, you are a captain. Sure. Separate from that is your military rank. And since Solo ends up as a general, we can assume he's assigned to the army. Which means he's a captain in the sense of he is generally in charge of kind of like a battle group. So when he's basically brought in, he's like, well, you already have leadership experience. You know what you're doing. You can captain a ship. So some people may be saying Captain Solo because he's the captain of the Millennium Falcon. And some people may be saying like um, when Riken refers to him as Captain Solo. So that was going to be, yeah, because an empire specifically after they've been entrenched with the rebels for a few years and actually worked into the official system, they're probably on the payroll, you know, they probably have the ticket stub that says hey if we actually do win this war you get sweet dental like, yeah he's you like know, an, they're like he's an 03 rank somewhere in yeah, there now yeah so you know so they refer to luke as commander skywalker and in sort of that same breath you know in that same idea they refer to him as captain solo right and so i think a lot of us kind of took that as yes that's the official military version of the title mm-hmm. so my my question essentially being okay sometimes certain roles are associated not with just hierarchy but also with a specific function correct right so director may not necessarily be as high as say a grand admiral but yeah. probably higher than a lieutenant, so, and we don't actually know where it falls. So that's the whole conversation of what we're yeah. saying, right? And so the idea is specifically, is it a ABC thing where one is above the other, or is it just an offshoot where it's really no one is in charge of him because he's in charge of a project? Well, in the U.S. militaries, I actually just made a shout-out to it. There are the O and E ranks for enlisted and officer. And they are numbered, and that is because that is a rubric that you can use across all military branches. So whereas, like, a captain in the army is fairly lower down the totem pole, it's like an O, like if they said, I think it's an O3. Mm-hmm. Um, a captain in the Navy is a completely different connotation, so it's like an O6. So there are these different positions that will still land on a hierarchy chart, no matter mm-hmm. where you come from, because the military had to figure that out, because it's like... Yeah, when you do a collaborative effort, does the does the captain outrank the general, or how does that look or work? 
And they had to figure that out. And I think director could be, like you said, an actual military rank that has a certain equivalency to... I would assume he's probably equivalent to at least a one-star admiral. Yeah. Um, just because he's in charge of an entire base. Yeah, a lot of people. And he, yeah. He's got a fair amount of bling on his outfit, too. And he's got a cape. You don't get a cape yeah, by that's... just being, like, general rank and yeah, file. They don't give you... cape, but just after five years or anything like that. You, you don't you don't wear a cape when most people have to call you sir. Yeah. Like, that's not how that works. Yeah, I mean, the capes are reserved for him and Vader. Yeah, no. And that's about it. That's why they hang out. That's why he goes goes over and uh, checks in with Vader at his castle, because he's like, cape, respect cape, you know? <laughs> and then and Vader doesn't respect him. Vader Vader no. just disappears. Vader doesn't respect anybody. Um, but Krennic, as far as we can tell, for the 15-plus years that the, the Death Star is being built, and I say 15-plus because a mystery is exactly when that last scene of Episode 3 is. Right. We know it's in the... End of the Republic era because they're still using some Republic craft, like the V wings are there, and we know the V wings were deployed in the last days of the Clone Wars. Yeah. We haven't switched to Tie Fighters and Imperial class Star Destroyers, but also <laughs> that probably isn't like oh, and then Vader got assembled, and uh, yeah, Luke was dropped off, and then by the next week, Vader was checking in with the Death Star that was being constructed in secret. No, that probably doesn't make sense. Well, especially now. I mean, back then we had that Dark Lord of the Sith book in Legends yes. that took us immediately after Episode 3. But now in current canon, we have the Darth Vader Dark Lord of the Sith comic book run, yeah. which shows us exactly what happens That's from the true. minute the helmet comes down. So we know that at least in our current canon, even though lately Lucasfilm is throwing published canon to the wind, it seems, um, in general... That should mean that that scene takes place later on. Yeah, so I figure it's probably uh, at least a couple months, maybe a couple years into the occupation of the Empire. Yeah. And so, again, the project for this has been around for at least 15-some years being worked on. Um, and the interesting things are Krennic is the overseer of it. Basically, I think as far as we know, essentially after the superstructure is built. So sometime right after that scene we see in episode three is when he sort of takes charge of, yeah. of, of it. And especially he's in charge when the project shifts because most of the Death Star, the, the body, the, 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 what would you call it? The basic structure of it is actually handled by the Geonosians. They are almost just enslaved the entire planet. Mm -hmm. And they've been building this thing around Geonosis, which is a quarantined system after the Clone Wars occupation They've been building it for who knows how long, like years and years and years and years and years and years and years. And eventually the Geonosians seem to have some ulterior motives and the Emperor catches wind of this and eliminates all of them. Just wipes out the entire race. And then it's kind of like in Krennic's lap of like, okay, go finish this. Well, how am I going to get all the labor for that? I don't know. Take Wookiees or something. I don't know. Go well, figure it this out. This brings up an interesting uh, offshoot of this discussion that we have to get into, and that yeah. is the problems that affect the Death Star during its construction, because the project, as they state in Rogue One and other material, is well over its time, initial estimates, well over its budget, and, you know, you say at least 15 years, I think that's a low estimate. I think we're talking over 20, because we know mm. it's 19 from the end of Return of the, or Revenge of the Sith, and I think, based on what the Clone Wars tells us, I think at least basic construction on certain components 
components started during the Clone Wars. Well, under Sidious, I am sure there are gears turning. Yes, oh, yes, cause yes. The, Well, because technically... We know there are. I was going to say, if you want to talk about the entirety of the project, yes. like you said, Pago the Lesser has yeah. it in two, which means they've been working on it before that. Exactly. So, so this is... So this just... Yeah, just to give an idea on how long something of this scale took to manufacture yeah. from start to end, it is well beyond 15 years. Just want to clarify that. No, you're, you're right. Uh, you're right. Yeah, not, I don't... I you weren't say, saying that. We talked like, about it. I'm just kind of putting a bow on it. I would just say 15 years yeah. is when I would consider it when it's an Imperial-only project. At least, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So all of these things, you know, this project takes so long. And obviously it has one huge design flaw, but there are other things that go wrong along the way. You know, individual transports being uh, sabotaged, for example. That's a big um, story arc in, what is it, Thrawn Treason? The third mm-hmm. Thrawn book that, you know, shipments, I don't think they actually even say in the book, but we kind of know it as readers, like yeah. supply shipments for the Death Star are getting interrupted. And that's yeah. one of the things Thrawn needs to solve. So we do get to see little bits and pieces throughout different eras of Star well, different parts of the era of the Empire. But what I want to talk about now is the major design flaw that Galen Erso builds into the ship. So we yeah. talked earlier a little bit about Galen. He is a prime scientist when it comes to the creation of the actual weapon of the Death Star. He was, mm-hmm. uh, after he found out what he was working on, he defected and left the Empire, tried to live in the countryside, as they say. Mm-hmm. was pulled back in his wife killed his daughter his daughter lost into the wind and he was forced to work and as he states rather than taking his own life or refusing to work or anything like that he decided to work pretend to be on their side to sabotage the system and i think it's a 50 50 i think galen is just a fairly crestfallen fallen fellow at this point and a, his like loss of his family or his disconnection from his family i think part of it is like he's he thinks he's doing this for his family by like by giving in and not keeping them on the run like he's been doing for years. I think he believes that this is the best way to sort of like keep his daughter out of it because, you know, he knows that his daughter's hopefully alive somewhere out there in the galaxy. Yes. Um, and again, he is good friends with Krennic and the work is terribly interesting to him. He loves solving the problems of this. But the problem is he is... Uh, He's at the Manhattan Project and knows he's building a bomb. He's very aware of what the bomb will do and doesn't really want to support it. So while he does finish the plans and is in charge of, especially he's implied to be, most of his stuff is the power systems, like, which affect all parts of the entire, you know, project. That's where he's, he's poured his malice, his hate, his frustration with this job into a designed character flaw, a thing he designed specifically to be overseen in multiple, multiple revisions of the plans that no particular person would realize the chain reaction that we could cause by this thermal exhaust port. And then he basically stuck it in the last revision of the plans and tells his daughter how to get Project Stardust, the schematics for it, and hopefully put an end to it. Yes, absolutely. Basically, he is responsible for the entirety of the story that we see set up in A New Hope because now the Death Star is complete. As this uh, message from Galen ends, we see the Death Star fire its first test shot at the surface of Jeddah. And mm-hmm. we see what happens when you're on a planet that is struck by the super laser of the Death Star. Now, it's not at full capacity here, so it's not taking say, out the entire huh, planet. Huh, we got set to low. 
Yep. Uh, just warming it up, you see. Yeah. And so what we see happen when the laser strikes the planet's surface is that essentially a wave effect happens where the ground, very much like a wave in the ocean, mm -hmm. comes up, rolls up on itself, and then falls in on itself as it loses momentum. Right. And we get to see this inside the wave and it's a really really cool and effective shot showing the destruction of the death star and its power and its capabilities and of course after this tarkin is uh this is when he makes his move because of the success of this test firing but what i really wish we had gotten to see here is what happens when the dust settles does it just look like a big desert is everything gone does it well, look like you know rocks and scraps and is there scrap metal spread throughout you know what's still there after the death star fires my favorite uh passages because it's the first time i'd ever heard the thought of it was in uh the dark forces like novelizations and comic books they had a great message where he in that story he's infiltrating and grabbing a part of the death star plans because that's what happens in the first level of dark forces yeah of course that's all not canon now but the way he talked about it was he was at the base where these death star plans were being held or at least this piece of the death star plans and they had where the super laser was testing and the way he describes it is like what's that as he's like flying into the the outpost he's like what is that big black lake over there it's so pitch black i can't even see like any movement on it and it's like oh that's not a lake that's where they tested the super laser the crusts of the earth had been superheated to the point that it turned to molten glass and i'm like whoa so in my opinion at the epicenter of any hit of the death star that doesn't cause a chain reaction that blows up the planet yeah is just a a you know a many feet thick plate of volcanic essentially ga uh, glass where just the surface has been so superheated it has gone down to its molecular form and just become the silica and stuff that melts into glass very very interesting that would be a really fun spot to explore in the star wars universe and i hope we can one day well jedi would be a cool plan to go back to because again since it doesn't die and as far as we tell it's mostly blown up that settlement so the death star literally is on like the lowest setting possible yeah. it would tell me that i don't think the entire ecosystem of that planet's destroyed so it should be habitable i'm not not that it's a great planet to live yeah. on. It's very dirty and just like a dust planet like so yeah. many planets we've seen in Star Wars. But I would love to see if even in that specific area where the Death Star struck, if there, you know, if we went to it in Resist Era, in a New Republic Era, you know, that type, right. if we would see a memorial or if we would see a new city or if we would just see nature taking back over, you know, I would love to just get someone's oh, take yeah. on that of what happens, you know, in the force when so much destruction occurs. Yeah. And and during the course of Rogue One, we basically see the destructive power and how Tarkin is, abs I don't want to say, is in love with the effect. He's in love with the concept of, this is what I meant when I wrote the Tarkin Doctrine of power through yes. strength, is this thing is such an overwhelming symbol of the power and that we are bringing to the universe that it is order in and of itself <laughs> yes. it just manifests order because the other option is the destruction of your planet and he shows again his absolute ruthlessness because when he finds out there's a crew of rebels that are stealing from the archives and scarif his general solution is hmm well we don't need scarif anymore and decides to destroy the entire planet 
I love it. I love it so much. And I, I do love Tarkin's energy here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and just, I just, I think it's worth saying here just cause I, 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 uh, I like Star Wars. I like most Star Wars, even when I complain. I think most people know who listen to us weekly that I still like it. Yeah. Uh, I think the CGI Tarkin looks fine here in Rogue One. Like, it's fine. Even five years later, it's fine. It's good. My like, belief system will always be it looked fine, and then they kept showing it, and they kept showing it. And I they, mean, and in my opinion, don't get wrong. they overplayed their hand it's, when yes. they didn't need to. <laughs> Absolutely, I agree with that from just a general filmmaking perspective. Uh, but that is the same, like... You've heard me talk about Kylo talks to pipes. You know how much I hate that. Like, yes. Yes, absolutely. I don't love that decision there in general. I would have done it differently, but I'm not directing this movie. I'm not the one making these decisions. Sure. I don't know what other reasons could have been that affected that decision. What is very, very interesting here for me personally, anytime I see that or I see Leia at the end of the movie, whatever it is, is I just look at that and I think about comparing that to, oh, I don't know, Boa or anaconda any of its sequels that had these awful cgi moments and just think about where we're at here well tarkin was manufactured by the greatest like special effects artists on earth and so it looks really good and it holds up well enough the problem is it just lives in the uncanny valley because it's not real and but there's a certain level that you will never like Think about what Marvel films look like when, like, Iron Man came out. You're like, oh, my God, this is so good. And now if you go back at it, it looks a little fakey. Not bad. It doesn't take you out of the movie. But you see that, like, since this technology is constantly evolving and it's not actually light on a real object, it will always be getting better. And that means the older stuff will always be getting looking a little bit worse. Oh, that's absolutely true. And I completely agree with it. You know, it's all about hindsight. And but just. When you've seen some of what's come before, oh yeah, I don't understand how anyone can look at that and say, "Oh, I this think... is awful! It completely ruins the movie for me." I just don't uh, understand here. that aspect of it. As you know, Rogue One, by far least favorite Star Wars thing ever. Sure, um, but I'll just speak for my own reason is is to quote Ian Malcolm from the Jurassic Park series, <laughs> you were so busy thinking if you could do it, you didn't ask if you should. And when I look at episode three, and at the end, when you have the, I can't remember his name, the Australian actor, though, who is playing Tarkin, I'm like, I can deal with a recast. Yeah. I don't need you to spend yeah. hundreds of millions of developmental dollars to recreate Peter Cushing when... I can just have someone else play Tarkin and be okay. I did it with Clone Wars. That's not Tarkin's real voice. Did you know? We didn't build a whole synthoid that can create an exact duplicate of his voice patterns. Because Same page. It's Same page. Special yes. disbelief. Completely agree that we are both in the fans. I mean, you, I don't know about you. I don't want to speak for you. But I was an advocate of just recasting Leia. In episode yeah. nine. I mean, I, I I think at a certain point, it's just the best thing I to think do overall. With Leia, it's like an appropriate thing. Yes. I think by the time Rise that. came out, I would have been fine with a recasting. But I know why Disney, in the aftermath yes. of Last Jedi coming out and Leia dying, or um, Carrie Fisher dying, you go, uh, no, we're not going to do that. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, we're not going to do that. And then later on, you go, maybe we should have done that. Um. And it, it's okay. Yeah. I guess the whole thing is I like recasting because I think if a character is not bigger than one actor, then that's not a character that needs to be carried forward. If the actor dies, then we bury the character with them. 
And if you go, no, but the character is too important to do that. I'm like, then they should be able to exist with more than one face. They should be able to exist with more than one person portraying them. Yes, yes. After like 1997, we should have been past this. Batman should have been the lesson for all of us. Batman, James Bond. I mean, yeah, James Bond. Yeah, absolutely. uh, There's a bunch. uh, The Hulk. In the Marvel films? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, there's like, there's so many examples, and obviously the next big one for us in Star Wars probably will be to see what they do with Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Because it think... seems like we'll be getting more of that, and so far they've chosen to just do a CGI thing, and I think we will get a recast one day. Well, and I think you look at example is like Han Solo, right? Even if you didn't really get into Solo, I don't think anyone's going like, oh, he doesn't look like him at all. There's no manners. I can't see Han in him at all. Like, you you, you can, because he's, he's playing the same character. Yeah. He's yeah. got a lot I of mean, same manners. Yes, that alone, I think, should have been enough to convince Star Wars fans that recasting was a safe way to go. But, and again, you know, I do think it, it has to be done with care, but I think that, back to the point... Tarkin's presence in here is extremely important, and I'm yes. glad that he is a character in this. We may discuss the best way have, to have done that, but to have this smothering character come oh, in, yeah. roll over Krennic's work, take control of the Death Star, basically just give him appoint himself, you know, the god of it, <laughs> and basically ready to just turn over to the Emperor of like, oh, we tried it all, we tried out the laser on Scarif, it's completely destroyed. It worked just like we planned. And the Emperor going like, wasn't that one of our plans? He's like, yeah, I thought it was a fitting, uh, you know, test. (laughs) And the crazy thing about that also is that means that we've destroyed an entire world before we get to Alderaan. Oh, yeah. Um, So it's interesting. We get to see the kind of the escalation because we see basically where in the, you know, we see Jeddah and we see what it can do on low settings, which means that like... Let's say you went to Lothal, you could just destroy Lothal City and keep the planet with this weapon. Or you could go to Scarif, where for the most part, it's just entire ecosystem is collapsing before it actually makes the final push to actually destroy the entire planet. Mm-hmm. Or you can just Alderaan it, and in just one shot, chain reaction, destroy it completely. Um, you can understand why this is such a terrifying weapon. In fact, why don't we passage to that? Let's... Sort of reset the clock a little bit. Yeah. We've told the story up to New Hope. Yes. Let's talk about how audience experienced the awe of this thing. And by starting in 77, where we first see the Death Star as an audience. So as we're coming out of hyperspace, among the remains of Alderaan, the mm-hmm. proximity sensors of the Falcon are going crazy. Mm-hmm. Our passengers, including Obi-Wan Kenobi, look out the viewport of the hamburger with an olive attached to it and yes. see a moon. But wait a minute. That's no moon. That's a space station. (laughs) And the famous line spoken by Obi-Wan Kenobi lets us know what we're in for. And as our characters get closer and closer and eventually get drawn in by a tractor beam, one of the coolest features of the Death Star, in my opinion, especially for my young brain, uh, we see the true sheer size of it. Now, so now that we're talking about the completed Death Star, I think there's one thing worth throwing out here, and that is just a quick barrage of facts. The Death Star <laughs> is uh, 160 kilom- kilometers wide. So kilometers. Kilometers, I know. I, clicks. Yes. Uh, so about 100 miles wide diameter. Mm-hmm. That's insane. 100 miles. Think about how long... Just think about that. That's crazy. Well, um, yeah. That's... It, did it ever? Did that ever cross your mind that, that it was that large? Yes. 
See, for me, I don't think you I mean it remember, does now I as poured, an adult. I'm talking I about through technical manuals. Yeah. So like okay. I learned what meters and kilometers were yeah. thanks to reading Star Wars stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I am talking about first seeing it here. Obviously, I realize now later later on when I'm not six years old how big the thing actually is. But you know, you get, oh yeah, it's big enough to land a ship in. That's pretty big. You know, right. that's kind of the the mindset of it. Uh three hundred and fifty seven levels. Mm-hmm. It's a long way down. Yeah. Uh, the surface area is 45,000 square kilometers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 123 drive engines for sublight travel. Yep. Omnidirectional, so it can move in all the space. Oh, yep. 15,000 turbo laser embankment batteries. Which is ridiculous. <laughs> 768 tractor beams. I love someone had to write all this stuff. Yeah, I read too, right? And, of course, a hypermatter reactor. Yes. Some of these things we'll talk a little bit more. Um, and this isn't to mention all of the awesome set pieces that we see in the Death Star. Um, mm-hmm. Only, you know, a tenth of a percent of what the space station has to offer. I would love to spend some time among the Death Star cantina or in the uh, gambling pits, you know, where there's illegal gambling yeah. going on in the depths of the space station. Well, We've seen so much of it, but when we were first presented with that initial interaction with it, you know, our first time seeing A New Hope... All we know is it's a gray ball floating in the sky. Yeah. And and for um, as time has gone on, you know, it's a prop, right? It's supposed to look like this planetoid with this yeah. one crater, this axial ridge around it. Um, and, you know, it's supposed to look like a moon. The best part about it is as time has gone on, we've really dug into the idea of like, this isn't just a space station that's like, oh, mm-hmm. it's like a small city. Like, no, 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 no. It's like a major metropolis in the in the interior space of this. It is it could ginormous. have its own baseball. It team. has a mall that has been established that it has a shopping mall yeah. because all the people who are stationed there, this is their home. Like all the amenities of a city are available on the Death Star. There are probably movie theaters. There are probably hollow theaters. There are probably nightclubs. There are probably everything. There are Wookiee holding pens for all the slave Wookiees who are here to finish things for them. Um, There's Dianogas in the trash compactor. And I and again, I like the Dianoga, especially because it, it talks about the fact of like, this is not some pristine, clean, perfect machine it's a place. Yeah. So even though, you know, even the most, you know, well-to-do battleship in the world's Navy probably has a rat somewhere on it. Like, cause just life finds a way. <laughs> um, and I, I, I really think it's fascinating. And like you said, we get to see over time more and more of this. Cause to be honest in 77, it's, it's a ball that they put some details on yes. and it looks great, but it's a ball. Yes. Whereas, over time, we've been digging more into that. So we get the matte paintings of when the Falcon's being drawn in. We get to see those turbo lasers. We get to see that some of these unfortunate troopers are stationed outside the atmosphere of the base. They just have to <laughs> hope all the seals on their suit hold. Yeah. Um, we see that there are all these different docking bays. It's implied in the technical manuals. There are repair bays for Star Destroyers because they can oh, land yeah. inside these things. And Rogue One does a great job at showing some of this scale. Better yes. than the original trilogy. And I was gonna say, and when you see Rogue One, you're seeing the shadow cast o- yeah. over the thing. I love when the uh, the main uh, reflecting dish for the super laser is finally put in place, and you see all the mechanical grit that's underneath this clean so gray Dura steel. Yes, yeah, so much fun. 
Um, so visually powerful. And we see a lot of spaces. We see a, you know, we see the docking bay in which the Millennium Falcon is brought into. We see how that leads to the detention center. We see a number of the different hallways and how those are all arranged. Yeah, the control center, like the overlook tower for the hangar control, mm-hmm. which we see a different version of in The Force Awakens and that, you know, mm-hmm. first order hangar. So it's fun to see that evolve. Um, we see obviously the, um, uh, trash chute, you know, you talked about the detention block, but yeah, the trash compactor, um, we see the, um, conference room. Don't forget conference the big conference room. room. Yeah. Where the, you know, the end of Alderaan happens, I guess we should have, I did say earlier, the oh, first no, no. time we see the death stars with Obi-Wan, that's not well, true, but, uh, no, no, that's no, kind of no, the no, big no, reveal. That, no, that's when we first see yeah. like the, what it is to yeah. them. Like, yeah. But we've been seeing it because yeah. they're on this, you know, we see the conference room and then we see fire control, which is where, yeah, Tarkin has his great dress down of Princess Leia where he's yeah. like, Dantooine, mm-mm, Dantooine's uh, too, too remote. Far too remote. Ha, trust me, no one's heard about Scarif and I blew that up like a week ago. So we're going to, <laughs> to blow up Alderaan, yeah. your home planet. It's a peaceful planet. I know. And it bothers me so, yeah. which is why I'm fine with destroying it. That's it, the thing. If you blow up Colorado, it's right in the middle. Everybody notices. Yeah. And I think the other thing with Alderaan, with, I, I think it really is just their peace-loving diplomacy, no weapons policy. I think that's the reason Tarkin likes destroying it is because he's it's so um, antithetical to his worldview, which is very Darwinist, survival of the strongest, yeah. and that you can only become your best through struggle and strife and surviving you know, against horrible things. And he sees these just... These absolutely lap of luxury people standing around talking philosophy, making art, and he goes like, he's probably just morally disgusted by it. So <laughs> he's more than happy to wipe them clean from the universe. Oh yeah, absolutely. That is his go-to. And we see uh, one of the most famous shots in Star Wars, which is the the powering up. We flip the switch. We see all the lights go. Those two people who are absolutely. Uh, should be calling OSHA because there should be a railing there for them. Have the laser shoot right by. Uh, and fun fact, I just learned this this week because I follow a bunch of like VFX mm-hmm. stuff on uh, Twitter. The uh, the shot of the laser shooting down the tunnel and the actual model building for yeah. that is an infinity mirror of the um, thermal uh, the thermal exhaust port. Oh wow! So the tunnel the super laser shoots down. And the tunnel where the proton torpedo goes to destroy it are the same exact prop, just filmed in two different, very different ways. Oh, that's very funny. And I was like, that's really neat. That I never thought about what does that proton torpedo hit on its way in either. Because we just see, you know, the basic schematics during the briefing of it going down to the nice, clean center of the Death Star. But yeah. obviously that's not necessarily what happens. Yeah. It's fun. I think, okay, so now we're going to get, as I push up my glasses to become a complete nerd here. So at the end, we find out that, okay, yes, Luke uh, gets the plans to the rebellion. Yes. They analyze the plans. They find, they talk about how they found a weakness. Yeah. Which the one thing about Galen Erso designing the weakness that I'm okay with, because I'd rather it just be an oversight, because I love the overconfidence of the Empire. Sure, which sure. Which is still sort of there, because one engineer got away with hiding that thing. Right. So it's still a little bit there. But the one thing with Galen Erso putting the design flaw that does make sense is like, We've analyzed the plans and in the last five minutes found its weakness, which you'd think they would find it that fast, but they didn't. It's like, it is kind of nice to go like that there's just a folder of readme on the Stardust-like things that shows the design flaw. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. It's funny because we don't know what 
analyzing they're doing. And obviously, Jin says when she comes back, there's a design flaw in the exhaust port. Like, she tells them. So, so I wonder if look. it's a they knew where to look type of thing. And from what I can tell from a, this where I was pushing up my glasses. Sure, sure. Is, so inside the center of the Death Star is the hypermatter reactor, which is doing antimatter matter reactions to create insane amounts of power. And we actually get to see that in the DS2 yeah. in uh, Return of the Jedi. We actually see what that cavern would look like. It would just be smaller on the Death Star 1 because yes. the Death Star 1 is about a third of the size of the Death Star 2. Yes. Um, and you can see that open cavity. And I think what we're implying is that that exhaust port is pl venting plasma and other you know excess from that reaction. So it's probably a magnetic conduit. So once you get the proton torpedo in there, the proton torpedo is held in by those magnets to get just shot directly at an even higher velocity than it was originally shot in at the antimatter reactor, like the center point where those two things are happening, causing it to shift out of alignment, causing the entire reactor to lose its containment and just rip that thing apart. So the... The idea of, again, you have this straight pipe. I don't know if it's straight so much as just it is in the physics sense of the proton torpedo has nowhere to go but the center of the, the yeah. maze. I love it. I, I love I love thinking about the actual way this had to happen. And what's really interesting, and I would love for Star Wars to fill in some time, is when did they start building the second one? Because if it took 20 years for the first one, and sure, you have some know-how now. Sure. You're still building the third. The well, that's second why one the big one's more. That's why it's more ambitious. Exactly. So I would love to know when that got started. My philosophy is that what when Krennic gets so behind schedule, I wouldn't be surprised. The Emperor basically just says, "Like I want a fleet of these. So sh give me the schematics that you have so far. We may not have the resources right now to build another super laser." But we can at least start building the base, and then yeah. that starts getting built in secret. Um, and again, the know-how makes it go faster, but I would assume that the Death Star 2 is probably at least as far along as the Death Star is in Episode 3 by Episode 4. Like, yeah. I think the majority of that structure has to be built. And we know that the Death Star 2 is incomplete. It's operational, right. but it's incomplete. Right. It's not filled in, so it obviously isn't through all 20 years of being built like the <laughs> DS1 is. And when we do see the DS1 in its final year, we see uh, some great close-up shots of the trench that they pilot through. Obviously, mm -hmm. we see a lot of super lasers up close. So we do get to see the surface. And it's funny, when you're seeing the surface, you're seeing those shots, you do realize how large it seems because you, know, you can't even see the horizon most of the time. The Death Star, when you're that up close to it, is all you can see. So it really does put yeah. the scale into perspective when Ooh. you see the snub fighters up against it. Oh, yeah, because you see this basically just this little hairline on the equator of it. Yeah. And then when you're actually in it, it's like Grand Canyon sized <laughs> yeah. that you're flying through. Yeah. You know, it's it's tight, but it, it's a lot of space in there. Oh, yeah. And it spans the entire thing, which is very, very cool. Yeah, because uh, it's supposed to be this sort of like maintenance corridor where they can swiftly move things around. Um, and I, again, I think the, the cool thing about it is over time, we've just built it up as more and more of a place, mm -hmm. um, you know, cause, uh, when we had EU content, like, um, the force unleashed, 
we see what it is a little more of like what it's like for the Wookiees and how they're all like trapped in these just really bad conditions, but working on these polished, beautiful rooms and stuff like this. We get to see there's much like the Emperor's throne room exists on the Death Star 2. There is one on the original Death Star as well. There's private quarters for the Emperor in case he wants to visit or run something from here. Yes. Um, in uh, Catalyst, we get a little more idea of what the living quarters are like. In our favorite books of all time, in Certain Point of View, we get to see a little more of daily life because we get to see TK421's kind of like daily routine and grind and why there are mouse droids running around and mm-hmm. what purpose they serve because of just how <laughs> mind-bogglingly large this installation is. Um, and it's just, it's it is... You know, you said it at the top, and I didn't really think about it, but, like, it is one of the most iconic and enduring images of Star Wars. Mm, absolutely. It's just this this big old gray ball of death. <laughs> yeah, it's a good way to put it. And it's made uh, some fantastic merch over the years, too. Like a waffle iron. And a Christmas tree topper. That is, that's good. That's good. I mean, I think it makes more sense to have little ornaments of it, but... Sure, 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 sure. Um, I had an ornament of the Death Star 2 when I was a kid that when you plugged it into a strand of Christmas tree lights, it, like, lit up and had sound effects. Oh, that's cool. I don't know if I still... You would think I would have it, but I don't remember seeing it Hmm. recently. I'm going to have to look for it. It just Um, brought it to mind. I had numerous play sets of it. I especially remember having one for... uh, um, Micro Machines? Yes, 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 yes. I had that as well. And then my best friend, I was very jealous. He had the Action Fleet one. They had like a quarter of it for Action Fleet with like two decks you could land ships on. Oh, that was the one I had actually. I don't remember the I'm jealous one. of you. I had a smaller it, one. It was the one that like looked like a briefcase and it opened up, right? It yeah. was like a sliver. It was like a third of the Death Star yeah. cut off like the end of a loaf of bread mm-hmm. and had like a cannon on it. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I did love it's that. It's also the, like, I think... Uh, other than cardboard cutouts, I believe it's the original action figure playset was was the Death Star playset. Yes, yes, yes. Obviously, there have been Lego versions of it throughout the years, including a, couple... a full Lego version. Yeah. Um. Let's see. There have been dioramas, you know, corridors, and um, you know, multi packs of figures that have cardboard versions of it behind it. But yeah, the, the Death Star itself. Um. You know, micro or not micro Hot Wheels versions, you know, like palm size version of it. And then, of course, if you want to get really crazy, there's butter dishes and weed grinders and you can literally get the Death Star on anything you want. Ice cube makers. That's a good one. So, of course, it is something that is a everlasting image. It'll be interesting to see if the iconic nature of the Death Star changes as Star Wars continues to grow and expand and the Skywalker saga becomes more of well, a it, memory as it shrinks because i think again i think the original three films are always going to be the ooey gooey nu- nucleus of the franchise mm-hmm. but again as we have more and more and more content and more and more people that come on board at different parts that uh basic building block yeah. is going to be not necessarily everyone's major touch point because like g- great example the marvel films are out Comic books will always be the nucleus that came from them, and they will always be associated with comic books. But there are plenty of people that love that who have never read a Marvel comic book and never will read a Marvel comic book. But even they know, oh, I heard this stuff happens in the comics. Yes. Right? 
I think that's what the original trilogy is going to always sort of be is like, this is where it all started. It's very important. You should watch it. But if you don't and you like Bad Batch, you don't need to watch it to understand Bad Batch or whatever else. Completely agree. Completely agree. And that's okay. You know, we've talked about this in many other shows, in many other iterations and instances. You don't have to love everything. But the legacy of it is just so huge because we have stories that are always constantly connecting. Because I think one of the more interesting things about the mystery of the Death Star is one of the hardest parts of constructing it was getting enough kyber crystal mass. Enough crystals. Because we didn't even mention it. The kyber crystals are what actually allows the focusing of the plasma energy from the hypermatter reactor to become the super laser that cuts through Earth's planet into to its core and causes the chain reaction. So essentially, it shoots a lightsaber at a planet and destroys it. Nothing can stop a lightsaber. And there were lost episodes of Clone Wars that were supposed to focus on a place where they were mining this and how, like, Obi-Wan and Anakin don't know what goal the Separatists are trying to do this for. Of course, we as the audience go, oh, oh, I know. They talk about it in Catalyst, how hard it is to source enough of this stuff. So in my opinion, I definitely believe that the Death Star 2 Super Laser is made with a lot of recovered Death Star 1 Super Laser. Because I just don't see... I don't see them building a whole bunch of fleets because that seems like the common denominator they don't have enough of. Yeah. Um, so I think the legacy of uh, the, the Death Star, the fact that it intersects, depending on your count, uh, you know, three or four movies, because we have... New Hope, Return of the Jedi, Rogue One. And I would argue that since Starkiller Base is so tied to Death Star technology and is basically the Death Star's natural evolution of, but what if we needed more power than a hypermatter reactor? Could we just suck a sun's energy out? I mean, I guess so. And what if we didn't have to move the, the station in range of the thing? We just shot it through hyperspace. Would that even work? Apparently, the answer is yes. <laughs> well, you know, at first, the Emperor thought too small. Right. And when, you know, he realized the errors of his ways when he was betrayed by his apprentice, he had to start thinking bigger. Yeah. And what's bigger than destroying a whole solar system or a whole uh, system of planets from a different part of the galaxy? Really, there's only one place to go, which is you destroy the entire galaxy. Like, you just need it. The next Star Wars super weapon just has to be a universal galactic doomsday yeah. weapon. That's the only place to go. Ray's clone granddaughter is going to go evil. I know it. And that's I don't think be people the plot. are familiar enough with sectors and how that divides up the galaxy to realize that sector is bigger than system and care. But, um, <laughs> but it, it is, it is, um, it is a greatly important thing. And and again, I think the imagery and the way it sticks around the galaxy. I mean, we saw in Last Jedi, the one ramming uh, cannon is, you know, oh, that's Death Star tech. And I kind of, I think a lot of people read this like, it's a, like a little Death Star laser. I'm like, no, it wouldn't, it wouldn't care about a door if it was a Death Star laser. It'd also be green. But I think it's more referring to, in my mind, in my reading of it is, the Death Star is the Manhattan Project of that universe. It generated years and years and decades worth of amazing research that wouldn't have existed without you know the death star so just like how we have nuclear power which is like the cleanest most environmentally friendly power but we're scared of it because it also could be used for bombs 
I feel the same way that Galen Erso's work on the Death Star has probably made the energy efficiency of the galaxy a million times better and the quality of life of people in the Empire and later the Republic better. But we try not to remember that it was also built to destroy Alderaan. <laughs> uh, with great power comes great responsibility. Right. Is that from this? Something. That from it, something? It's owned by Disney, so it's all the same. <laughs> But yeah, I think uh, uh, I think of I think the Death Star is just it's such it's an endearing thing. There, yeah. There's no other way to put it than iconic, and sometimes that word gets thrown around. But it is probably if you did it like Price is Right style, if you asked a group of a hundred people what comes to your mind first when you think of Star Wars, it's probably going to be up there. Yeah, it's probably like Vader lightsabers, and then oh yeah, the Death Star. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised one bit. Um, this was a lot of fun. I'm glad we finally got around to talking about some technology. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know I love talking technology. Yeah. The Sun Crusher's next. As we venture into the EU and other super weapons that try to be like a Death Star but aren't as cool as a Death Star. Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right, Mac, you want to wrap this one up? All right, let's do it. So, like, in the Alderaan system, like, what's left? They got, like, a blown-up planet. They got all this stuff lying around. Where does... So, the Death Star, is that just hanging around Yavin? Is it just forming, like, a debris ring around Yavin now? Well, lots of debris. In the uh, Inferno Squadron novel, they do talk about debris making planet fall on Yavin. Oh, okay. That Um, makes sense. But apparently, it's in smaller pieces... Than the Death Star 2 falling on Kif Burr. That fell in much which, bigger chunks. Which makes sense. Being larger and also more room for the explosion to get out because it wasn't completed. Well, it must go because it goes to a planet we've never heard of and not yeah. Endor. Well, it's just... I'm assuming parts fell on Endor. Yeah, I think <laughs> they both do. I think they both get rained down with um, waste and wreckage and debris and litter. Wonderful for the environment, right? I don't uh, think the Imperials are environmentalists. I don't think they worry. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's definitely debris on Yavin for sure. But we know Yavin is still a habitable place right. because that's where Poe Dameron grows up. That's true. That's true. But again, I like the idea of him, like, much like, you know, like kids in America finding arrowheads in their backyard. He's just finding, like, mouse droid parts in his backyard. I mean, I'm sure that happened for some people. Of course. I'm sure... Um, I'm, I'm sure pieces, people's homes were destroyed with I'm debris. Sure, I'm sure top representatives from Scrapper Guild showed up to <laughs> do their part to clean up the galaxy. Yeah, it all ended up on, uh, what was that, planet Bracca? Bracca. Bracca. Which is in the Bad Batch, which is ridiculous. It is. It's Cal really Kestis fun. is somewhere around that scene. Yeah, it's really fun. So Bad Batch is going well. I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, it's been um, great. Last episode uh, was fine, but a little bit like just. Just Mac didn't kissing. like the spin-off well, just, nature, I just, think, of it. Just kissing on the fact of, like, if this is, I don't want to say a one-off, but, like, if this is a subtle thing running through it, cool. But I don't need a full-bodied Rebels prequel. So I, 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 
I've seen Kanan as much as I want to see Kanan in the entire run of this show. Yeah. And now I feel I've seen Hera about as much as I want to see the Hera in the entire run of this show. It was cool to see them, but it was also very like, nice. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, especially after this last episode. I think I agree with that. I mean, we've talked about it before where all of the cameos in Mandalorian, it's not that that's not fun or that doesn't help. I mean, that helps connect the universe and everybody Absolutely. likes that. But there's a fine line between Bo-Katan showing up in live action for the first time and actually being a big impact on the plot and affecting things and moving the story forward. Love it. Ponda Baba and Dr. Evazon just randomly being bumped into on the street of Scarif. Not my favorite. So it's, you know, it's a fine line that we're walking between actually doing right. things for plot's sake and for enjoyment and entertainment value versus just, hey, this is a recognizable thing. We'll throw it in there because it'll make people say, hey, I know that thing from that thing. You you all. Well, the thing about it is you're always risky making the a big, broad universe feel really small that these people who are planets and galaxies away from each other could just possibly keep bumping into each other right exactly so like, like one thing that was good about the episode was i like the fact that the bad batch is here sid told us to give you these guns these are the guns you want right yeah cool we're out of here yes i did <laughs> love that because i assumed when they showed up oh okay now the episode started like you know this was all build up yeah. but as the episode ended and they never showed back I, spoilers i guess we should be saying um it's been a week, right? Well, I, I, anyway, I think we implied it at the beginning. If not, we're sorry. Anyway, um, they just show up and then they leave. And I love that we're seeing, okay, here's the story from the other side. We see yes. the Bad Batch going around doing, you know, finger quotes, heroic things, right, for money. Here yeah. we see, you know, what are those people, those kind of, once again, quote unquote, good people who need this back alley shady deal help from people like Sid and the Bad Batch? You know, what are they going through? What is happening in the world with the Empire taking over? I love getting to see that, but what I loved about Rebels and what I'm liking so much about The Bad Batch is it's a show with a narrative arc. It's yes. not anthology like The Clone Wars, and The Clone Wars was the perfect place to do that. If we get another show with that style, I'm going to be more than happy with it, mm -hmm. but in general with The Bad Batch, I like following a narrative arc. I like following one group of characters, and so when we get a spinoff episode like this, as great as it is for world building... Mm -hmm. It does take away time from our main characters, especially when it feels like it's going to be two part episode. That's two out of 16 episodes. That's right. What? One out of eight. What well, is that? 15%. And, and, and the one I'm thing not great at math, 12.5%. Something like that. <laughs> one out of eight. I don't know. Artist, not smartest. 12.5, I think sounds right, but I'm bad at math. That's probably. Um, right. uh, the one, I think the other thing you, we talked about it was like we both, uh, you know, especially at the beginning of new canon, we were competing with each other, like reading a lot of new published canon, you know, starting with Tarkin and going through those books yeah. and stuff. I've I've fallen immensely behind, but I'm like, mostly caught up, hmm. um, mostly. But like I remember reading, um, it's it's just Dark Sword, Dark Lords of the Sith, right? Yeah. Um, which deals with Ryloth, and I'm like, oh yeah, no, this is a really cool story, and I really like it. I see what it's going going through, and I'm like, and I guess that story can still function under the new remix of what Cham Sindula and family and group are doing, but um, wow, I don't think anyone read that novel before they started working on this episode, and that's not a bad thing, but I I I, t I texted you, I'm like. 
I can see the lines of why in the EU we had the different layers of canon. There was G level if George made it, and then there was like the next layer down is like the A level, which is like if Lucas Film or Lucas Arts helped make it. It's a little more than just if they contracted someone to do it. Yeah. And I'm like, and you've always hated that stuff, and I agree you should hate that <laughs> stuff. But I feel that there was an organic reason that created, and I feel we're starting to tiptoe towards that as we're getting so much stuff that's happening, not all the different parts of Lucas and the Lucas story film group is not as hands on with making sure everything works. Yeah. It's um, we've had this conversations. So this I know for you is repeating, but I'll repeat it here for everybody else is that it's frustrating for me. Yeah. It's something that I didn't want to see happen. Um, it, it started with uh, obviously Kanan at the beginning of the Bad Batch, and uh, well, actually, the first straw for me uh, was Resistance Reborn, and the whole thing then with uh, Wedge and the Rise of Skywalker that really, really was upsetting as a fan of the uh, publishing world of Lucasfilm and the mm-hmm. canon nature of that. That was really upsetting to see that tie-in novel just completely and, ignored. And the thing we uh, talked about is like moment. that was still like what I would say is in the ballpark of what it, I would say normal operating procedure. Yeah, where. Yes, it feels wrong with the energy I'm coming in from this book that this thing didn't happen in the movie, but it doesn't feel like it cancels each other exactly. out. It just feels like, oh, you you didn't you missed an opportunity. Well, my classic one is I feel that one of the reasons I have such hard feelings about Rogue One is because yeah. I really loved Catalyst and the people I was reading about Catalyst are, I guess, sort of in this movie, kind of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And that's something baggage I brought with myself, but these things we're talking about are, are starting to get to the, no, 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 what was canon is getting overridden now because, well, this is more important canon exactly, than that canon. Exactly. So, you know, Resistance Reborn was the first straw, and now Bad Batch with Kanan. So now, you know, the last Padawan comic has been drastically changed and affected yep. by this. Uh, you know, we're talking about the Tarkin novel and the Lords of the Sith novel being affected now by Bad Batch. So. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. And I'm trying not to be a negative fan about it because I don't want to be that person complaining about Star Wars. But it's frustrating for me when Disney made a big deal about how everything was going to yep. be connected not that many years ago. And now things like this are falling through the cracks with a TV show. Something that should easily have enough time in production. Right. You don't have one guy just working on it at the head of it. You have so yeah. many directors and producers and People like Dave working on this stuff, like, come on, this kind of well, stuff shouldn't be falling through the cracks. And and I think it's one of the things about, I think it's just a natural progression of the way that Star Wars is organically building out. And I think the Bad Batch, particularly, we're going to probably see a lot more come from it because this was a section of Star Wars that no one was expecting anything major to be built into. Yeah. Right. Like the space from episode three to the beginning of Rebels. Yeah. I don't think anyone was expecting it to uh, get official content being really built into it. We thought, oh, publishing and comic books will fill in that gap because that's the level of gap it is. And now that we have the Bad Batch, the Bad Batch is really good. But because this is especially, you know, I thought when we before we did this that Bad Batch was going to be like a one and done. It was going to be a one series, really cool, just sort of like if you will, a epilogue to the Clone Wars. But now that we know it's an ongoing series for however many years it makes sense to keep making it, like, we are obviously going to keep changing a lot of things that are either lightly in canon or assumed in canon um, as, you know, like, 
do you see this show having any future where Boba Fett doesn't show up during the course of it? You know, even though we sort of know where Boba Fett should be. The fact they went to Baca as I'm like, technically Cal Kestis is around somewhere. You could go touch on him. You could go, um, you know, there's so many places that they're going to re- remix. Like now that Hera has been shown, I think the chances of the Bad Batch not stopping off at Lothal at some point is very low, you know, and with all of that kind of stuff, it's it's making the universe feel very temporary, that it's just about like what is Star Wars right now when we're making a product and wanting to sell you that product, which is something that Star Wars historically has always dodged the bullet on because it made such more of a commitment like the Marvel Comics did of, you know, this is a universe and it is building and growing and everybody is, everything's happening in the same place. There isn't like... You know, it's not um, bits and bobs of a story that you can choose what you want. And that's been hard. You know, what we just talked about with Rogue yeah. One. Like, like, oh, it's a design flaw that Galen Erso designed. Now, every time I watch New Hope, I have to live with that information because that's what happens in the universe. Yeah. And that's what's become that universe. And that's okay. But you gotta be careful with that and stuff. And see, so my opinion on that is, or basically kind of what we're saying just to wrap it up is... yeah. I love when we get a new piece of information that recontextualizes something. Right. Say we had this. Things are as they are now. In five years from now, a new thing comes out that says, well, actually, Galen Erso designed the flaw, but then this other guy was actually the one who implemented it, and it wasn't actually what you thought. It was because he actually used a rubber band instead of a weld on the guard gate that's why it was actually able to happen like it's just like we're going back and we're reducing and we're changing things over and over again things that have already been rewritten right like well i mentioned it before dark forces oh this is where kyle katarin steals the death star plants except there's also a book where this other person i think it was winter or someone like helps steal part of the death star plants and now it's part of the death star plans because we need all the parts of the death star plan to make the real death star plan because we already wrote like three stories of how the death star plans were required because we all want to answer that question and people are like well even though they answered it i didn't like that answer so i'm gonna make my own answer that goes with that answer yeah it's that it's the difference between staring in at the center of the universe and trying to recontextualize everything inside rather than staring out and saying what new territory what what new stuff can we go yes 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 and well we have beat this topic to death we don't need to talk about it more but that's why we like new star wars that's why we like more coming into the universe Mm mm-hmm and new time periods. So, uh, you know, we're only going to get more of that. The High Republic is rocking and rolling uh, between the last time we talked and now. My copy of The Rising Storm and um, what's the other one? Race to Crash Point Tower have arrived. Uh, I have not read them yet because I am doing terribly with reading books this year, uh, <laughs> but I will get to them soon. Um, beyond that, yeah, what's going on? I've got a kitten living in my Star Wars you room do. right now, um, so that's fun. So today he knocked a whole bunch of minifigures off the top of my Lego Star Destroyer. Uh, so it has I been... I was really cute yeah. when it was just small enough to, like, you know, like hang around the i had some pictures of your your new cat and like yeah, yeah just next to like a tie fighter and stuff yeah. like yeah like a week ago now he's like doubled in size already yeah so um it's it's been fun my captain rex black series ended up in a litter box uh oh. so it's been you know it, it wasn't sanitized it, it, was, it, wasn't, out. it wasn't dirty or anything it had probably just happened like he's not like damaging things like he's not pulling things off shells and like chewing on them or playing with them he's just literally trying to get up on things and explore 
And yeah. when you have an entire room wall to wall filled with, with things stu- that can easily be tipped over just by wind, let alone a two and a half pound cat, um, <laughs> it, it it's bound to happen. So I have just been like the stuff he can reach. I've just been like pushing it back and knocking it over and. Hopefully nothing is too damaged. Um, I get you. Uh, if he is going to be in there for weeks longer, as we expect it may be, I may have to do some more kitten proofing. But for now, nothing has been damaged um, or any more damage than the big cats had already done. We're fine. We're all fine here. We're all fine here. How are you? Yeah. As every day goes on and he gets more and more tired of being trapped in a single room, I'm think- I'm sure things will get more destructive. But for now, it's fine. Little beans of chaos. Yeah, I wish you know all this time it has a uh, it has a Star Wars collar. Um, it is a uh, it was uh, we we found it. It was a stray kitten, and we actually found it on the Fourth of July. And when we took it to the vet a few days later, they estimated that it was about two months old. So what is two months before the Fourth of July? Happens to be May the Fourth. Oh, so my okay. wife was kind enough taking the kitten to the vet to give that as its official or at least its recorded birthday. Isn't it wild to think that, like, not that many generations ago, like, there are people in our grandparents' generation who don't know what their actual birthday was? Yeah. Like, that's crazy to think about. Well, well, it's crazy to think about when you think about, like, much like the empire we've seen in in Bad Batch. Everyone's fully documented. You know what I mean? Like, like, oh, I don't know my birthday. How do you not know that? Because I never need to know that. (laughs) Like, think about it. I can mark what time I, you know, oh, I remember what year. It's been a year since I've been on this rock. Who cares? Well, as they say, birthdays are a scam to sell cards. I say, you and me, like, every other day are having to enter our birthday into some website that demands the need to know it for whatever reason. (laughs) True. (laughs) We need to advertise to you correctly with your correct demographic. I mean, for age verification. Just give us your birthday. Yeah. Nothing nefarious, we promise. Just like the Empire. But again, I mean, I think it's interesting now that we're we're figuring out cat and dog yeah. birthdays because that's important because they yeah. got a birthday just like us. They do get a birthday just like us, and my cat is now officially born on Star Wars Day, according to my official United States of America documents, baby. And that is absolutely awesome. Now that's freedom. Uh, he doesn't have a Star Wars name. His name is Winston, but it's still good. I'm sure there's been uh, some Winston in all of Star Wars somewhere. It could have. I'm sure it's happened. If not, it will happen one day. There'll be a Winston Jedi. Uh, beyond that, let's see. Anything else? Cat in the Star Wars room. Uh, <laughs> still no Star Wars celebration tickets. Yeah. Huge bummer. Um, every time I see like an Instagram post from Celebration, I get like one second of jubilation well, and then nothing. And it's getting... And it's. It's been getting weird every time it's less than a year to it. Every Monday and Friday, it's very weird. That's kind of my mindset. It's like, okay, it's Monday again. Today's the day, I get, right? I get the feeling that if nothing else, you're probably here after Labor Day because when the one of the bigger cons, Dragon Con, goes, yeah, I think that's when Celebration will go, can we have the whole enchilada or do we have to have a reduced population in the venue? Do, you know. I think that's the only thing I'm assuming that they're waiting on is just to see how many tickets of the ones they refunded yeah. they're going to actually put back out. Yeah. Um, or potentially more, which I think is the other side of the coin, yeah. maybe. Because I wouldn't be surprised if, yeah, like you're saying. But anyway, um, Hopefully if there's soon. one thing we know for sure, Read Pop is a company in America in 2021. So they will squeeze as many bodies as they humanly can into that convention center. Correct. That they can get away with. 
Yes. And that's I think that's what they're waiting on is to yes. see how many they can get away with. Yes. Um, so, again, hopefully it'll be soon because yes. really looking forward and to that. And it's funny trip. because everybody on the internet hates Star Wars. Who's even going to this thing? Right. Yeah, that was the funny thing about going to Chicago. It's like, oh, Last Jedi is so terrible. I'm like, this place seems pretty busy. And all the people who, you know, didn't like that movie, they still seem to really like Han Solo and Stormtroopers. So I'm just saying, like, maybe it's bigger than just one thing. (laughs) Hey, Uh, we love Star Wars. We can't wait for more Bad Batch. We can't wait for Rogue Squadron. We can't wait for everything else. Um, And soon, I would imagine, we'll be getting the announcement of what the next uh, High Republic adult book is. Yeah. Uh, Because right now, the one we know about has been released. So it's only a matter of time. Oh, yeah. Um... There were three versions or four versions of The High Republic, The Rising Storm. Stop it. Stop it, Lucasfilm Publishing. Well, we talked to our friends over at Hasbro, and they Stop told us it. how to do this. Did you get the Stop first it. edition? Did you get the first publishing first edition with the Stop white cover? Stop it. <laughs> Stop. Do you hear me? Stop, Del Rey. We don't need four covers and a poster. Especially Stop. considering at the end of the day, it's like comic book covers. like... There's no actual meaningful rarity to these. All it does is screw with people like you, other collectors, that just have to live with the knowledge of, I have my copy, but I know there's three other editions out there, and that drives me mad. I bought two copies of Light of the Jedi, because I'm like, okay, you know what? First one in a new series, a new era. It comes with with cool socks. You know what? Two, yes, sure, I'll buy two copies. Maybe I'll give one away someday, whatever, right? Right. Rising Storm. Okay, I pre-ordered mine on Amazon. But what if you go to Target and get the coolest cover? Oh, you mean... Well, what if you order from out of print and get the cool tote bag? Oh, I could get the... To- what if you get at Barnes & Noble and get in the poster? Oh, I, I would like a poster. Yeah, that sounds nice. And at the end of the day, I was just like, you know what? Nope. Just sticking with the basic one. Not getting the fancy one with the green dip pages that I really want. And here <laughs> we are. Uh, so that's where we're at. At least books, I feel that like... In the grand scheme of the universe, you can't really argue scarcity with them in the sense of, like, you could, in theory, print as many of those as you want. It's not like the action figures where I understand why it takes so long to build them. But, like, you know, all the publishing is mostly domestic. It's mostly done here and here and in Canada. So, yeah. like, should be able to meet demand. They don't want to. They're artificially making it so they can't. But I mean, it's fine. The nice thing is, if you want the book, it's available in a million iterations. So go get it. I hear it's hey. great. I have not started it yet. But people say it's even better than Light of the Jedi. And I don't understand that because Light of the Jedi was great. Well, you know, you never know. You know, people are weird. I can't wait. I am still about two thirds of the way through Into the Dark. Going through it extremely slowly, basically not at all. Uh, not because I don't like it. I am enjoying it, although not as much as I had hoped. Um, but just busy. I don't know. Life, man. I've not been reading. I'm well, still also the, the, re- working the, on my Legends reread that I started this year. Or the, last year. Oh, my I God. I say the, qu- the quarantine is uh, – the, the, the war's over. So for better or worse, we're going back out there <laughs> into the world. I mean, yeah. I just came back from the theaters this weekend for uh, Black Widow. And like, yes. oh, there was – enough people in there my thursday five o'clock showing was sold out like packed every well, single seat filled okay and you didn't have any social distancing left over so it was just it was filled. funny when i bought the tickets mm-hmm. they still had social distancing distancing implications like hey the seat next to you will be empty and then when but you then actually got at there. some point they filled them up and sold them all right. um there may have been a few smattering of seats like up in the front you know those couple of rows but i mean we're talking like no, a, no, the first but, but you felt house. like you were at a marvel movie oh yeah it was fun it was fun to be back i i can't eat a I large popcorn that. anymore 
Oh, that's okay. You you shouldn't. Yeah. Well. No, no, you shouldn't. <laughs> that doesn't mean you can't want to. But it's uh, it's great. Yeah. I'm glad to have movies back because yeah. I mean, just seeing that movie again reminds me of why I like going to movies mm-hmm. and movies like like Marvel and like Star Wars deserve to be seen on a screen as big as, you know, to eat your entire field of vision of your eyes. And and in less than two and a half years, we'll be seeing a new Star Wars movie on the big screen. And it hopefully will be amazing. I know. I should rent a theater and go watch Mandalorian in a theater. If that's an option, I'll join you. That's pretty good. At least I want to watch The Marshall on the big screen. That That should be... All right. I'm going to ponder that. (laughs) Yeah, let me know what you find. I will. But until then, I'm Mac. And I'm Ross. And until next Wednesday. May the Force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2021.